Let me just say it's awesome to be connecting all with all of you at Lake Point Church, whether you're online or here in person. Thanks for being here on what's week 38 of our 40-week Disciple Maker journey. Yeah, give yourself a pat on the back if you have any idea what we're talking about, because it's been a long ride uh, on that. And it's also week three of our co-missioning series, uh, where we're bringing people forward and praying for them and sending them out into different areas of everyday life. And today we're talking about causes. It's still relationships, it's still disciple-making, but for some of us, the disciple-making effort is going to be focused in on uh, a, a common need amongst people and in this world of things that need to be fixed. So um, there's a joke that I heard told about 50 times or so, and it must be. I, I, I don't actually know if joke's the right word for it. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's just a phrase. Maybe it's a caveat that people uh, put out there. But hey, at least God's not making you to go to Africa or something like that. Has anyone ever heard that one? But the show of hands, put in the chat field if, if, if you ever heard that. Okay, I, at one point I just wondered if I have the weird Christian friends or something like that. But uh, I, I think the phrase is essentially uh, the, the equivalent of, hey, it could be worse. <laughs> right? Like whatever God's asking you to do, however hard uh, it might be, at least he's not telling you to give up your home, to give up your spot in the American life, and move to another part of the world and serve the under-resourced, under-gospeled people that are out there. At least God's not calling you to go to Africa. But what if he did? It happened for my sister. Uh, now, I know that I don't tell a lot of brother or sister stories. I got one of each. I probably should. They're, they're really great people. It just happens to be that my wife and kids are far more accessible for current uh, illustrations when it comes to sermon time. And my father, who many of you know, is way too easy to poke fun at. And uh, so that's usually my material here. But today, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about my sister. She is absolutely the bravest person, the bravest person that I know. She was in her mid-twenties when uh, she heard God calling her to go to Africa. She had finished up her uh, teaching degree at the University of Wisconsin La Crosse, had spent a couple few years in a central city uh, school teaching elementary age school students uh, here in Milwaukee, and then Africa. Uh, and, and then Africa. Sudan specifically, who missiologists consider one of the top ten hardest uh, places in the world to be a Christian. Uh, part of it is because of the war that goes on there. There's a Muslim north, a Christian south, and uh, I, I like to call it a war. It's not much of one. When the Muslim north wants to invade and destroy the, the south, they, they, they quite successfully do every time. Uh, so where do you think Sis was? Do you think, is, is she in the Muslim north or the, the Christian south? Neither. She's in the middle of nowhere, Sudan. Like, this thing is off the grid where she ends up. Yes, she has like a missionary compound kind of thing where she, she spends her, her nights there with established missionaries who've been collected over, over the past few decades. But in the morning when she wakes up, she gets on a four-wheeler with her cute little 25-year-old white girl self, rides 40 miles, on, excuse me, 40 minutes on that four-wheeler through the African bush, all on her own, to a place where there's no other missionary, no other little white girl, no written language waiting for her. It's her job to learn the language, put it into writing, and then educate the children in that village so they have expanded opportunities uh, in life because now they know how to read. 
She would then drive the 40 minutes back, again, all alone as a white little 25-year-old girl in the middle of African bush, sleep, wake up, repeat the same thing the next day. Who comes up with a plan like this? This was just crazy. My, my poor mother and the years of sleep that she lost every single night praying for my sister in Africa. This, this is Sudan, Africa, understand. Like, this is a place where you have, you have to check for venomous snakes before making toilet in that hole in the ground. This is the place where she woke up to crunching sounds on her mosquito net because a centipede was in the process of eating a gecko. The insects are big enough to eat the reptiles in this place in Africa. This is the place with witch doctors, with cult followings who are putting people in trances. This is the place where when she left, she didn't leave by booking a plane ticket. She left because she got evacuated along with every other missionary because the war was making it out to even the tribal areas and they were about to kill Christians, including people like her. This is that place, but... This is also that place that now has a gospel-giving presence and the love of Jesus that's known. And a local church that continues to represent that to this day. Because some stupid 25-year-old white girl showed up with a love for kids to teach them how to read. No, she, she showed up because she loved Jesus enough to say yes. Whenever Jesus said, come on, come on over here. I tell you, I was uh, proud of my sister, bravest person I know. And, you know, in, in my better moments, in my better moments, I'd like to be that brave. To, to say that the answer is yes. The answer is yes to Jesus with whatever crazy thing he wants to say, come along the ride for. The answer is yes when it costs money that I don't think I can afford. The answer is yes when it leads to association with people that inconvenience you or break up your vibe or some people that flat out disgust you. The answer is yes when it messes with your schedule. The answer is yes when it rearranges the tidy plan that you've put together for your life that you're working so hard at controlling. The the answer is yes even when it doesn't look American. The, The answer is just flat out yes. Yes, Jesus, wherever you want to go, whatever you're up to in this world, whatever you're working on fixing, and I, I want to go there and fix it with you. Because we all know there's so many things in our world that's broken. Locally, regionally, globally. The, the, the list could be huge. I'm going to give you a line from Jesus, just show you a bit of, of his heart for fixing the broken things in the world. I'm in Luke chapter 4. I'm going to read with verse 14 going forward. It says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. So this is his hometown. This is where he was born and raised. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Synagogue, kind of like a church. They do read the Bible. At least they got the Old Testament version of, of the Bible there. And it's common to let a rabbi teach. Jesus is a rabbi, so he grabs a scroll, and he's going to teach. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it's written. So he's picking one spot in this scroll very purposefully, and it reads as follows. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
that he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogues were fastened on him. So can you picture this? It's like a pin drop moment. Everyone's just like, what's he going to say? We're, they're just really fixated on him. In verse 21, he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, this, this is a beautiful thing when you, when you think about it. Of all the places Jesus could have gone to in the Old Testament, of, hey, when, when the Son of God shows up, when this promised Messiah comes, he's going to transform our hearts. Or he could talk about heaven, or he could talk about the forgiveness of the soul, of, and so many other things. But instead, he goes to this text and says things like, hey, I'm here to proclaim good news to the poor. That's what you need to know about me. Because I'm here, because God took on flesh, we're going to take on poverty. We're going to take on relief. We're going to take on systems that would lift someone out of poverty. It's good news for people now, not just later in heaven someday. There are haves and have-nots in this world, but everyone in my world, everyone with Jesus, is, is not a have. Or he goes on to say the freedom for the prisoners, those who are just locked up and held down. Sometimes it's the own brokenness cycle inside of ourselves that locks us up. Other times it's, it's, it's injustice, just people that get away with wrong things in our, in our world. Recovery of sight to the blind, people who can't see it, who can't perceive it, who can't understand it. Jesus is going to be the one who illuminates it, to set the oppressed free. Anyone that's held down or, or left out. We've got tons of scriptures through, through, throughout the Bible. It's repeated so many times. The God who's got the heart for the, the orphans, the, the, the widows, the foreigners. That He's going to be the advocate for them. Like it's said in Job, Job 31, he's going to give the poor the desires of their heart. Not just make sure that basic needs are met, but that poor people can now say, i got a desirable life in this world. Why? Because the good news of God showed up even for me. And that last line, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I love that. No matter what does or doesn't get fixed, no matter uh, who, who gets in, who, who's for you or against you, the fact that all of us now have a God who's for us, that changes everything. And now with Jesus laying it out there, hey, I want you all to know up front, early on in my ministry, that's what I'm all about. That's what it means. Now that Jesus is in the world, now people like you and I who follow Jesus, we're a part of the same thing. And, and so for you to take up the cause of Jesus as a disciple maker, it might be focused on education or it might be focused on disaster relief. You might be interested in poverty or clean drinking water. It could be missions or church planting. It could be crisis pregnancy care, foster care, trauma care, legal systems, economic opportunities. The list can go on and on. And at the, at, at the end of the day, it's not any one thing that in particular that's the issue. And, and maybe for you, maybe it's not even going to be a cause. As we've been talking in this series, some of you are called to just like your neighborhoods and your networks. Others of you, your workplaces. Some of you, your family connections. But some of you, some of you here in this room, when God is marking off the territory of where he's calling you to be a disciple maker for him, to further his kingdom, you are the problem fixers, the wound healers, the brokenness menders of the causes in this world that need the kingdom of Jesus most. And if that's you, and if that's what you're hearing Jesus pull and prick your heart towards, that's what we're talking about today. And I'm going to try to be brief which I never am, but I always try. I'm going to talk about three things that a disciple maker to a cause 
has to be ready for it to cost them. Okay? It's going to cost you something. And here it is. Number one, it's going to cost you money. It just is. I haven't ever found one that hasn't. If you do find a cause that you can support without it costing money, please come back and let me know because I haven't found it. The fact is that, um, that, that, that the further you want a cause to go, it helps to have more resources to help it go further, and that really comes out to dollars. And that's how it's been since the beginning. All the way back in like the Old Testament, you, you find God instructing people to like, don't pick your field over. If you if you got a farm, if you got a field, don't... Don't harvest it all the way to the edges and don't go over it a second and third time. Just leave some laying out there. Leave some resources so that your neighbor can just buy, come by and pick it up. Don't collect all the money that could be yours. Or we're also told systematically that every seven years they were to cancel debts. They, didn't just, they just didn't want someone to be left at a sub-status uh, in debt to someone else. Or every third year, they had a, a special tithe, a second tithe. So in the Old Testament, it was like every year, 10% went back to the worship of God. 10%, 10%, 10%. But there's actually the third year. So it was like 10% this year, 10% this year. And then it was 20% of your income the next year. Because that extra 10% went into the storehouse to resource poor people, and, and the, temp, the place of worship would resource the poor for the next three years out of what was given. You just, you just see these systems that were put in place. It was going to cost Israel something to love their neighbor as their self. And so God spelled it out and told them, get used to this. This is, this is what it takes. You get to the New Testament, and parts are less systematic but parts still are, the way they administered care for, for widows. But was also needed to see that on top of that, they broke beyond the system. They didn't use their freedom in Christ to do less. They did it to do more. And people are liquidating uh, homes and fields and assets for the need that was amongst them. And that's, we're told that there are no needy persons among the, the, that early church. They, they just were uncommonly generous. Uh, this past month, my wife and I got a call from a missionary that we've been supporting for the last 15 years. Uh, she's been working in Thailand and Cambodia. It's a terrible part in the world, notorious for horrendous sex trafficking. And what her job is, is to work with at-risk youth and give them a different storyline, a different alternative for where their life can go. And uh, she is in the process of moving to Pittsburgh. Because apparently the only place worse in the world than Cambodia is Pittsburgh. Uh, <laughs> uh, any, any Steelers fans in here? No? Good. Yeah, I thought so. Let's keep it that way. All right. So um, here, here's the deal. It's, uh, it, it, it's a new calling, and she's going to do the same kind of work there. And believe it or not, it costs more to live in Pittsburgh than it does Cambodia. And she's having to go around to all her previous supporters and saying, hey, can you kindly triple the amount that you've normally given because that's how much more it costs me to live here. How hard is that? Going back to your friends, your contacts, people you're connected with and be like, hey, can you, thanks for the generosity, but can you do better? Like three times better? We just kind of felt bad for the situation she's in and we're asking God the question, what should we do about it? And here's, here's some thoughts that I was going through that I'm going to turn back as, as thoughts to you in the middle of when you're in that moment of generosity. Number one, choose to be consistent, not just fashionable. It's like what Melissa and I started thinking when she heard she was in transition. It's like, that girl needs a vacation. 
Let's get her and her husband like a great weekend away or they're going to need a car. So maybe we can be the ones to put a down payment down on the car. We had some fashionable ideas. We wanted to feel like, yeah, our money did this cool thing for that lady. What she needs is not a weekend away as much as money to pay for a, a mortgage or for rent or for groceries. It's not the fashionable part, but consistently giving month after month after month is what she needs most. And, and God did a little check in our heart with that, taking us back to what it was like in the Old Testament tithe or the New Testament systems for the widows. Just, just get in a pattern with her. That's the decision. It's not doing something cool and fashionable in the moment. Number, and you're going to have to think through the same way too. Don't, don't just wait until something shiny comes along. Something where you're like, oh, I'm proud that my dollars did that. To really support a cause, you just got to be in it for the long haul, for the non-sexy parts of just like... You help them pay bills for, for another month. Number two, give a little more than you think you could rather than a little less than you think you should. I don't know why we do this, but like when God puts something on our heart and we're going to give 10 bucks, by the time it comes time to give, we turn it into seven. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I know I kind of felt we could do that, but I'm not exactly sure. Maybe funds are going to be tight. So I'm going to get close, but I'm just going to shrink it back a little bit. What if instead when God put us a nudge on our heart to do 10. What if we turned it into 12 or maybe even 20? Uh, there's a text in the Bible. It's, it's a crazy one. I'm cautious about using it. Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Okay, so in some ways God's saying, go ahead and give to me because I'll, I'll give you back all that and, and then some. I don't want anyone to get a get-rich-quick scheme out of this, but at the same time, here's, here's what's happening. My wife and I's choice with that woman who's asking us to triple our gift, we actually chose, at least for this year, to make it nine times our normal gift. And don't think it's the super spiritual good thing that's going on in our heart as we turn towards each other like just... Just write the check for that amount. You know why? Because God's going to get us all that back and then some. And why do we know this? Because it's happened 10, 20, 100 times before for us. If you give God generous more than we thought we could or we should, just like, hey, just, just sit back and watch. And you know what? That was three weeks ago we wrote the check to the missionary, and 10 days ago it happened. There was a money thing. I can't tell you what the money thing is, but there was a financial opportunity. It was stirred up before. It didn't happen. We forgot all about it. Didn't even remember it anymore. And then 10 days ago, the financial opportunity happened. And the, the money that's coming our way, you want to know what it is? Twice the amount of what the check was we sent to the missionary. And when you have Jesus do this with you 20, 30 sometimes, you finally get the pictures. Instead of taking the $10 he's asking and turning it into seven, take the 10 and decide to give 20 instead and just watch what happens. It's like, maybe what I'm saying is this, quit pinching pennies when God's asking you to move thousands. Because there's a lot of work to get done in this world. Number three, appreciate how money moves your heart more than heart moves your money. That, that's how Jesus said it, Luke 12, 34. For wherever your treasure is, your heart will be also. He didn't say where your heart is, then your money is going to show up later. I think a lot of us wait till we get that, that great old feeling in our heart, we got to do this, and then our dollars move towards that cause. Now, what he's saying is, you want your heart to be in the right place. Move your dollars 
first. And admittedly, this missionary, we, we forget her about her most of the time. After writing that check three weeks ago, you want to know who we're thinking about? Her, and we're praying for her and her family and her kids. Now we're praying for Pittsburgh, and on and on it goes, because our, our money moved, our heart now moves with it. That's how Jesus said it would be. All right, that, that was all just number one. You're going after a cause, you got to get ready for it to cost you money. Number two, if God has called you as a disciple maker to a cause, it's also going to cost you relationship. Super, super important here. I don't want to give anyone the impression that to move the kingdom of God, all you got to do is transfer bank account numbers around. It's far more involved than that. Look at, look at Jesus. He could have just done a transaction for salvation from heaven in some way, I'm sure. But instead, he chose the incarnation to get down into this world and and alongside people like you and I and alongside our human needs. That's the God we follow, and we're going to follow him into doing the same. In the New Testament church, one of the coolest lines in the whole Bible is Acts 2.42 when it talks about how there was no needy people among them and it was through this word called koinonia, translated fellowship. It was in relationship alongside others that needs were surfaced and then someone else met the need. They didn't run nonprofits. They didn't have parachurch things. It was all within the church of someone who was within the church got known and got their needs met and you did the meeting of someone else's needs. Or I love the story of the Good Samaritan. Many of you are familiar with it. And in the story of the Good Samaritan, what it means to love your neighbor as yourself gets both simplified and radicalized. Simplified in the sense that loving your neighbor just simply means it's who's ever got the need in front of you, like just quite literally in your path, and you can't help but notice they're right there. Love that person, meet their need. But the radical part is it took the Good Samaritan getting off their donkey getting down on the dirt in someone's life, in their brokenness, in all the differences, and out of that, that's how the person's need got met. Or it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, if I give all I possess to the poor but do not have love, what did I gain? Not a darn thing. It can't just be about the money. It's got to be about the relationship that goes along with it. They're not projects. They're not problems. There's people that are getting valued in the middle of all this. So my buddy Tim, who now funded three, uh, three orphanages in Africa, he, he bought the construction of it. That was kind of the, the fashionable part. The not-so-fashionable, consistent part is continuing to fund them year after year after year. He also makes a trip to those orphanages once a year with his family because the relationships are important, or what Lake Point does with Peru and uh, the, the, the children there and the way we sponsor them, we also set you up with a pen pal, pal relationship because we don't just want kids to get a couple dollars and a meal. It, we, we, we want them to know there's a person behind it with the love of Jesus. And so we ask you to write these notes. Or if you go online right now and look what we're doing with this thing called Mosquito Serves, it's just a list of service projects, but it's it's... It's getting your hands on it. It's getting your relationship. It's getting your presence into it. It's people here at Lake Point with Chosen and Morning Glory and the Guest House and the Hunger Task Force who are already know people over there who are inviting you to say, come along and know someone that I know there too. Let's add relationship to the need and the cause that we're involved with. It'll cost you money, but it's got to cost you relationship too. That's the first two. And here's the third. It's going to cost gospel. You do not get to just be an activist. 
you're way too smart for that. Uh, forgiveness is greater. Salvation is greater. Or as Jesus said in Mark 8.36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? You see what Jesus is doing with this? Jesus is like, well, let's say you can raise $10 trillion and get enough research to, to fix breast cancer and leukemia lymphoma, and you could be the one that's relationally handling cures for cancer into other people's life, but you didn't give anyone a, a, a cure for the fallenness of their own soul. We kind of left the big one undone, didn't we? Or let's say that we collectively together found the answer to world hunger. Where we got a system and we got the resources and this is changing people's lives where people live longer and live better because there's food and clean water for absolutely everyone in this world. But people are still losing their souls and end up in this place called hell. How much did we actually solve? Kind of cheapens the thing, doesn't it? Or if you can counsel someone's heart and help someone mend on the inside and help someone find hope for tomorrow, but that hope ends in this lifetime, they don't have any hope for for eternity, for their souls, then it's all just short-lived, relatively speaking. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying it's got to be both. It's got to be. What Lake Point does in Peru is funneled through a local church. Yes, so that kids get tutoring. Yes, so that kids uh, get, get hungry kids get, get their lunch every day. But it's also done through a local church so that something is done for their souls. Or what my sis did in Sudan. Yes, kids are literate now because she was there. But now also some families know about Jesus. Because she brought the love of Jesus along with her. You, you can do both. You have to do both. It's just not done until both are taking place. That's what it means to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let it cost you your money. Let it cost you relationship. But it's always got to go with the gospel as well. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor for that person's soul. Here's one last thing I want to leave you with. Because I, I know... The way I've talked up until this point, I'm explaining how hard it is. <laughs> and I know it would be easier to just kind of take a seat on the couch, sit it out, and like, well, there's got to be someone in the world more qualified than me to, to, to fix all the brokenness, right? But, but I want you to just reverse the thought process for a minute and think about sometimes it's way too easy not to make a change. Yeah, it seems hard, but... Sometimes when you think of how little it would take to make a huge difference, it's it's worth throwing yourself into it, okay? I'm going to give you 16 way too easy differences to make. I'm going to tell it to you so fast. Don't even write it down. They're going to go so fast, okay? Number one, 7,000 children in foster care in Wisconsin and 3,500 churches. You do the math on that. That means if one family from every church in Wisconsin would foster one sibling pair of children, foster care would be taken care of. It would be done. Every kid in Wisconsin would have a safe home to live in. It only takes one family per church. Number two, it costs 15000 to build a well in Africa to service a whole village for the price of your next used car. Or if you chose to buy a used car instead of a new one and send half of it to Africa, a village of 300 people would have their lives, re- lives revolutionized. Number three, 80 million refugees in our world have been forced, people have just been forced to leave their home for one reason or another. And that number's added to 44,000 people a day. 
Simple things like 150 bucks gets a Syrian woman a support group for her trauma. 90 bucks gets a dad in Congo seeds to grow food for his family. 35 bucks sends a refugee child in Sudan to school. Small things that make a big difference. Number four, 1,000 people are homeless in the city of Milwaukee. And $120 bucks shelters one of them for a week. That's a stat put out there by the Milwaukee Rescue Mission. Also in Milwaukee, 80% of abortion-minded women-minded uh, pregnant women choose life through crisis pregnancy care. Just a relationship in their life, someone to talk to here in Milwaukee, four out of five women choose to bring a beautiful child into the world. That's a stat put out there by CareNet. Number six, it costs two, $250,000 to build an orphanage in Peru for 24 orphans, which we're doing, which you're doing. If you're given as much as a dollar to Lake Point, part of that has gone back to funding that orphanage. I just think it's cool. If any of you own a home in the city of Mesquite and have looked at Zillow any time recently, chances are the number is bigger than 250000 And for what it costs to home your house, home your family, for less than that, 24 orphans who don't have a place to call home are about to get one. And we're going after building that forum. Number seven, 7,439 people groups in the world are considered unreached, which means there is not a Christian in that area at all to tell them about Jesus. Maybe you're the one who's going to be the next one to live as a missionary to the number drops to 7,438. And if you're not the one to go, then maybe you're the one to support the one who is. Related to that, I love that, uh, uh, I find it interesting, the 2,528 languages still need a Bible translation. That many languages don't have the name of Jesus spoken their own way, and they can't read about him. 356 of those alone are in Papua New Guinea. So when Lake Point went after the second global project, we chose Papua New Guinea. We chose the Ames family, because they're going to drop that number down by one. They're learning a new language, speaking to new people, and starting a new church. So it's something like language doesn't... Words should not be what keeps someone from finding Jesus. Number nine, our, our buddy Mike Francisco is planting 1128 Community Church in Oak Creek this October. And the beautiful thing is like, picture what you love about Lake Point, whether it's what we do for kids or the way we explain Jesus or the way that you have a local church that you can invite your friends to and know that they can find Jesus there. Same thing all over again. is about to happen in the city of Oak Creek. That's what we're supporting, and you can support it too. Already your dollars are, are going there through our church's budget, but just think about this. What if you said, hey, I'll, I'll run a kid's classroom in Oak Creek for three months because I believe in Oak Creek getting what Muskego has, or I'll be a greeter for six months because I want to welcome people there like someone welcomed me when I walked through the doors here, or my goodness, if you live in Oak Creek, just go there and don't come back. <laughs> Help build a church. Help build a lighthouse so that other people around can, can, can see Jesus. Where am I? Uh, number 10. There's uh, 2 billion people in the world who are undernourished and 2 billion people who are overweight. Think about it that way. There's be like a calorie share program. Going like, who, who would like to send some of their calories to a place that needs it more? And simple stuff like 365 bucks would revolutionize a hungry family's life somewhere or another part in the world. I'm pretty sure I'm going to spend more money feeding and watering my lawn this summer than that. Definitely spend more on the gym membership I got to buy to burn my extra calories so I can go back to eating more calories than I actually need. You put it all in perspective and, man, let's just take a chunk of it off and send it to someone 
who needs those calories more. Number 11, $40 a month gets a child in Peru daily tutoring, lunch, chance to hear about Jesus through their local church and a relationship with you. That's what our Peru partnership's all about. If you want to sponsor one of those kids, email me. I'll tell you what's going on with it. Number 12, Muskego Serves. It's simply a list of great projects by trusted guides here from our church. Guest House, Morning Glory, Chosen, Hunger Task Force. You're helping homeless people, hungry people. And all it takes is you visiting the website and saying, hey, I want to do something meaningful with my family this weekend. Why don't, why don't we just try this? Why don't we just sign up? Someone's already going. Someone's already doing it. All I got to do is jump on the back of someone from Lake Point who's already there. 13, Lake Point's got a race research page. And I give you the names of two Milwaukee pastors that I got a relationship with. I trust. I trust them to navigate suburban people like us through the race issues in the world. Tell me. Tell me we're going to get better than the way things got kicked up in the 12 months that have gone past. And tell me the church can lead the way. We got at least two pastors that we know and trust and you can follow along with. Number 14, helping three friends find Jesus, find their faith in Jesus over the course of your lifetime. If every one of us in the room only had three friends that came to faith in Jesus over a lifetime, that would create a world movement. That's what historians believe happened. It took Christianity from being a persecuted, fledgling idea into the world movement that dominated the West. If we did it all over again, just three people in your lifetime, that's a life well lived. Number 15, 60% of students do not have a positive adult interaction with their life outside their parents. And that's assuming that the parents are good ones. We all know kids just need so many adult assets around their life. If you'd volunteer like with kids or, or, or with students at this church or any other place, you automatically doubled the, the adult impact they have. Or how about this, number 16, make it as simple as inviting a friend Whatever you're doing next. Any of the above that we just talked about, you're going to do it? Bring a friend along with you. Whatever you are about to do, the impact of that just doubled. It's, it's simple stuff like that. And at the end of the day, I'm not telling you, okay, pick from one of the 16. I'm just trying to get your imagination going and to realize, like, for as hard as we think it is to change the world, and it is, though, let me break it to you. You are not going to change the world. None of you are. But you can change a little part of the world and you can change the life of someone in this world, right? And to grab a hold of like one of those things and to throw yourself into it with all your heart and with all your soul, just the ways you've thrown it into loving Jesus. Now you turn around and love your neighbor as yourself and you follow the Jesus who put it on the line and, and got on the ground and washed someone's feet and says to you, now go do likewise and serve. Some of you got that on your heart. I'm not saying it has to be everyone. Like a, there's other kind of commissionings, other places that Jesus could take you. But if there's like a cause, a brokenness in the world that you want to fix with the kingdom of Jesus, with the love of Jesus, that's what our commissioning is about today. I know some of you are not familiar with this, so let me break it down. A commissioning is two things. Number one, it's just your chance to get prayed for. We're going to invite some people up on this platform. If you want to be the people that are prayed over to go out towards a cause, don't pass up on, on prayer. It, it works. It makes a big difference. And number two, we all kind of need this line in the sand sifting in life. You know, like there's, there's one way of living on this side of the line and there's another way of living on that side of the line. And sometimes we need to look back and say, that's, that's the day I said I'm, I'm going to choose that side of the line. And for some of you, you've had it on your heart for a long time to make a difference, 
in this world as a disciple maker for Jesus with a cause. You just haven't told yourself you're all in. You just haven't told Jesus you're all in. And so a moment of coming forward in front of your church family to get prayed for and sent out, that's your way of saying, I'm, I'm all in. I'm, I'm going for it. So I hope that explains enough of it to you. If you're in that spot and you're saying, that's me, I'm in. You have the opportunity to come forward to the platform at this time. Our elders are going to stand behind you. Our elders are going to be here to pray for you. We're going to have a little statement for you to repeat. And then we're going to pray for you, send you out, and resource you. If that's you, come on forward, and we'll do that right now. Just so you know, you did not have to pre-register for this moment or let us know in advance. It's just... uh, it's just if God's got it on your heart. Online people, this is you as well. So simple as put it in the chat column that you want this next prayer that happens in this room to count for you. That, that's you stepping forward. That's you crossing your line. So feel free to just say count me in in, in the chat field. Even if, you're, even if this is at the post recording you're, you're listening to, you can do it that way. All right, thanks for coming up here, everyone. And there's going to be a statement that we're going to have on the screen right here. So you can all turn around and uh, read it as we go. This is for you as the cause makers and the disciple makers of Like Point Church. Let's read this together. I will dare to dream God's disciple maker dreams for my cause. I will intercede with prayer for people in my cause. I will prepare my shape and calling for disciple making. I will care for people with love and gospel. I will share God's gospel story with my words. I will open myself in ongoing discipling relationships with those who respond and seek to group disciples into missional community. Finally, as disciple makers with Jesus, I commit to rewind and repeat all of the daring, praying, preparing, caring, sharing, discipling, grouping, until disciple making becomes second nature in my personal discipleship with Jesus. Okay, as we begin to pray for these people, I want to invite you to, you know, bow your head, close your eyes, and just raise a hand in their direction. Just you're symbolically saying, I'm, I'm joining this prayer. Everyone's eyes are closed. It's, it's only weird if you're looking right now. All right, here we go. Jesus, we're just joining you in the sending that you've already done in these people's hearts. There's a phrase out there, well, at least God didn't call you to go to Africa. Well, these people are called to go somewhere and do something. And, and when they get there, it's, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be easy in the sense that to make a difference just, just required showing up, just required something. But we appreciate that it's going to cost these people their money. It's going to cost these people their relationships. It's going to cost these people... The gospel as they know it in your son, that they're going to have to figure out how to speak to souls, not just to the brokenness on the outside. And you're the one who's pulled them. You're the one who's called them. You're the ones who's already ordained. Here's a broken spot of the world that, that needs a disciple maker to show up with the love of your son driving them. And so we as their church are sending them and we're praying for them. But mostly we're believing in you to resource them along the way that they could keep going. That they wouldn't stop. 
that the impact wouldn't come up short, and that for every one of these that are getting sent out, that a second friend, a third friend, a tenth friend would join along with them, and that you just create a whole move of God in the direction of the things that you need fixed in this world. And that these kind of people here at Lake Point Church would be the ones driving and leading the way. Jesus, this is what we're sending them out for. This is what we're believing you for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.